it is the year 2022. Some treacherous podcasters have conquered the podcasting platform of Spotify. But from secret staging grounds on other podcasting platforms, the valiant Carlo from the movie loot prepares to retake his home platform. Hello, looters! Welcome to special episode number 11 of the Movie Loot. The special episodes that come out every other month where the loot is a specific scene I love from a film I love. I take that scene, break it apart, analyze it, see why it works. If you dig this, make sure you check out our catalog for similar special episodes on films like Silence of the Lambs, The Godfather Part 2, When Harry Met Sally, Alien, Seven, and many others. Last week, we released episode 59 of the movie loot called The Nostalgic Loot, where me and Darren Lundberg talk about nostalgia in films. In the end, we both mentioned five films we're nostalgic about for how important they were during certain phases in our lives, and one film that both of us brought up was Transformers the movie. So when it came time for me to decide which film to talk about in this special episode, this one was an obvious choice for me. But first, a bit of background. Transformers the movie is a film I heard before I even saw it. Like I said on that nostalgic episode, I was a fan of the 80s cartoon when I was a kid. At one point, one of my brothers got a hold of a cassette tape, an audio cassette tape, with the whole film recorded, and I listened to that pretty much every day nonstop. I was just captivated by the grittiness of the plot and the killer soundtrack. When video rental stores started popping up and we went to our first one, this was the first film I rented, obviously because I had to see what was happening. I had to put visuals to the audio that I already knew by heart. Now, let's be honest, I know the film is just a cash grab or a toy commercial from the company to wipe out the old generation of toys and introduce some newer ones for kids to play with and obviously parents to buy, but I didn't care. I was all over the film, the characters, the music, the story. Now, as an adult, I can acknowledge its flaws, but I still think it mostly works. Maybe it's the nostalgia like we're talking on that episode, but that's okay. It still brings back memories to me of a certain time in my childhood, and I love it for that, which is why I'm bringing it up now in this special episode. Now be warned, like all my special episodes, this will be an in-depth discussion, so the film will be spoiled. If you haven't seen Transformers the movie, stop now and check it out, especially if you were a fan of the cartoon or the toys. Then you can come back and check this out. As of now, the film is available for rent on Amazon, Apple TV, Vudu, and many other platforms. So let's begin. The most incredible rock and roll adventure ever is here. Feed him to the shark guns. Starring Judd Nelson as Hot Rod. Leonard Nimoy as Galvatron. And Orson Welles. I am Beyond good, beyond evil, beyond your wildest imagination. Transformers, the movie. Oh! 
the movie. Coming to a theater near you this August. So to set things up, Transformers the Movie is an animated sci-fi action film released in 1986. The film is written by Ron Friedman and directed by Nelson Shin. The film was a box office failure, but has eventually become a cult classic with people highlighting its soundtrack and its portrayal of violence. The film is set 20 years after the original cartoon where the heroic Autobots and evil Decepticons are raging a savage battle. When a planet-devouring planet called Unicron, voiced by none other than Orson Welles, threatens the safety of everybody. The cast includes regular Transformer cast members like Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime, Frank Welker as Megatron, and Chris Latta as Starscream, but also includes stars like Judd Nelson as Hot Rod, Robert Stack as Ultra Magnus, Casey Kasem as Cliffjumper, Scatman Crothers as Jazz, Eric Idle as Redgar, and Leonard Nimoy as Galvatron. The thing is that this battle between the Autobots and Decepticons starts within the film's first 10-20 minutes when Megatron and his people manage to hijack an Autobot spaceship, killing all the Autobots inside in order to infiltrate Autobot City. And that's the scene I want to talk about. So to analyze the scene, I'm going to talk about five things. Number one, the setup. This is more or less the third scene of the film. The film called opens with Unicron approaching this planet called Lithon or Lithon. In the planet, we see its robot inhabitants go about their days, robots working in labs, robot families having fun. And the director makes a point to show us these robot families, kid robots running around. How does that work? I don't know, but Unicron is a genocidal planet that devours other planets. So maybe we can say he's cannibalistic too. Anyway, he starts devouring this planet entirely with only one spaceship managing to escape, which we'll come back later on the film. This is an important opening because from the get-go, it establishes the tone of the film. This is not your Sunday morning cartoon anymore. This is something darker and more sinister, and we're now aware of that. This is also evidenced by the main theme, which starts right after the scene. The main theme is not the one from the cartoon, but a more hard rock, edgier version sung by Lion, a band that was active from 1983 to 1989. The more aggressive theme is yet another hint that this is not the cartoon that we're used to. The things move to one of Cybertron's moons, where the Autobots have a secret base, and we see that Optimus Prime is sending a small group of Autobots to Earth to reload on Energon cubes. So he tasks Ironhide and a few others with the mission. Ironhide, report to me at once. Every time I look into a monitor, Prime, my circuits sizzle. When are we gonna start busting Deceptor Chops? I want you to make a special run to Autobot City on Earth. But, listen, Ironhide, we don't have enough Energon cubes to power a full-scale assault. Now, for those that were familiar with the cartoon, Ironhide was usually seen within Prime's inner circle. A bit stubborn and hot-headed, but always loyal. So the decision to put him on the ship is key. In the meantime, we can see Laserbeak, Soundwave's robot slash bird slash spy, capturing everything so the Decepticons know about the Autobots' plan. As the Autobots are en route, an explosion opens up one side of the ship, and in comes the Decepticons blasting. And so does the music, which is my second point.
The music in this film is so iconic and so key that I have to talk a bit about it. The song that starts blasting here is called Instruments of Destruction by a band called Energy, spelled N-R-G. This is a band that was formed in the 1980s, fronted by Les Brown and has Pat Lynch and Ernie Burns on drums and guitars respectively. Brown said about their contribution to the soundtrack that it was one of the most fulfilling times in their musical careers. The song Instruments of Destruction is perhaps the most heavy metal song from the soundtrack and considering that it plays during this scene where Decepticons essentially massacre a group of Autobots, the title is more than appropriate. The lyrics aren't necessarily related to the film, but they do speak of flying tools of torment, grave eternal darkness, and existence drifting away, so definitely fitting for what we're about to see. Which leads me to the first skill, and I want to highlight this one apart, because it's the moment when we go, oh shit, as the Decepticons break into the ship, Brown stands up to fight. Now, Brown is a small Autobot. He's part of the mini-vehicle line of toys, but in the cartoon, he compensates his stature with a lot of attitude. He's sarcastic and, like Ironhead, a bit of a hothead. So when he stands to face the Decepticons, Megatron transforms into a gun and Starscream shoots him right in the chest shoulder area and he collapses with smoke coming out of his body. Now, the thing is that all through the cartoon, we were used to see Autobots and Decepticons alike being shot multiple times with sometimes no effect. They would just fall or be stunned, but nobody died in the cartoon. So when we see Brown's body actually torn, injured, fallen, and smoke coming out of him, that's a wake-up call for us as audiences, that things are real. Which leads me into my fourth point, which is the whole Autobot massacre. Right after Brown dies, the other Autobots stand up to fight. Next is Prowl, the police officer, the police car. He quickly shoots, but misses, and one of the Constructicons shoots him right in the chest. And something interesting happens here because the director lingers on Prowl's face as we see his eyes turn off and smoke coming out of his mouth. So if we had our doubts about Brown either being injured or dead, there is no doubt here. This one's gone, and the director wanted us to be fully aware of that. Then the two remaining Autobots stand up, Ratchet and Ironhide, but they're equally dispatched with ease. Now, stepping away from the story for a bit, it always bothered me how easily the Decepticons will take over this team, and Megatron even acknowledges, this was almost too easy, Starscream. I mean, as someone who saw the cartoon and saw these same Transformers fend off more Decepticons over and over to see them shoot and miss like dumb Stormtroopers and just essentially being killed in less than a minute, it always bothered me. But that's how things are. As the Decepticons take control of the ship, Megatron and Starscream reveal their plan not to attack the Autobots' moon base, but instead to invade the Autobot city on Earth. In this moment, the always brave Ironhide, still alive, crawls towards Megatron and weakly says, No! As Megatron coldly replies, Such heroic nonsense! And shoots him point-blank in the face. This was almost too easy, Starscream! Much easier, almighty Megatron, than attacking the real threat, the Autobots Moonbase! You're an idiot, Starscream! When we slip by their early warning systems in their own shuttle and destroy Autobot City, the Autobots will be vanquished forever! No! Such heroic nonsense! 
Now, we don't see this. The camera tilts up to Megatron's face, but we see the cannon is right on Ironhide's face before he blasts, so we know. Which takes me to my final point, which is the aftermath. Just a basic rundown of what this leads to. First, once we get to Ottawa City, we meet a bunch of new characters, new Autobots that were introduced on the film. Hot Rod, Cop, Ultra Magnus, RC, Blur, Springer. The Decepticons did invade Ottawa City, killing many more Autobots, including Optimus Prime, but not the new characters, obviously. The Decepticons, on the other hand, didn't die, which is another thing that bothered me. A couple were heavily injured, some of the Insecticons and some of the other ships, including Megatron, and these were the ones dumped in space by Starscream and then reformat or regenerated by Unicron, but they didn't die. Why? I don't know. But anyway, even though we see more death and destruction in the whole battle in Ottawa City, this scene that I talk about is the one that sets the stage not only of the first act, but of the whole film. Now is maybe a good time to bring this up. The decision to kill off the old characters came directly from Hasbro, who had already planned to introduce the new toyland. Director Nelson Sheen has said that Hasbro had created the story with that in mind, and he didn't have a lot of space to change the story. Meanwhile, screenwriter Ron Friedman strongly advised the company against killing Optimus Prime, but they insisted because they had quote-unquote great things planned. Turns out they underestimated the impact because there were reports of kids crying in theaters, parents walking out, and kids being traumatized for weeks at the death of their heroes. Many of these Autobots were later brought back to life in future seasons of the show, sometimes explained, sometimes not, but that still doesn't make this scene any less shocking or traumatizing for little kids. So, those are my brief thoughts on that excellent scene from Transformers the movie. A great scene to kickstart this film and one that serves as some sort of a cold shower in terms of showing us that stakes are really high this time, even if it was done to sell more toys. Our heroes were vulnerable and our heroes could die, and that's something that kind of sticks with you when you're 10 or 12, watching this or even just listening to it on a cassette tape. But anyway, as much as I love that scene, I know that the film is full of great moments. So as usual, I went and asked my friends on Twitter to let me know what is their favorite scene or moment from the film. And this is what I got. My friend Darren, who was with me on that episode, he's at DW Lumber, said, As soon as Optimus says, Megatron must be stopped, no matter the cost. And the touch kicks in, you know you're in for some serious shit. Megatron must be stopped, no matter the cost. And he's right. Like I said before, the film really starts with a bang. All that first 30, 40 minutes are non-stop action. But that moment that Darren mentioned is really when your heart starts pumping faster. If we were talking favorite scenes, that would be it. But I really wanted to address this opening scene and how it sets the tone. My friend Phil Sagan said, best Transformers film ever. What is the most impressive thing about the film is that the filmmakers shot on all your favorites to introduce new models and executed it so well you didn't notice the bait and switch. Yeah, Phil, 10-year-old me didn't care and I still don't. I know it was an excuse, but all things considered, it worked great, like you said. My friend Ian at Best Film Ever Pod said Transformers had surprisingly sophisticated storylines as a television show and the film marked a brave attempt to retool and rebrand with Hot Rod being elevated to Rodimus Prime. Did it stick the landing? Not really, but for one night it was exciting to see as a 7-year-old. Yeah, 10-year-old me, high-five 7-year-old you. 
my friend Alex at Art by Alex Day said, as a kid in elementary school, all my friends were talking about it and how awesome it was. It was typical good guys versus bad guys, killer animation to the beat of some radical 80s tunes. Crazy, stupid fun. Watching it as an adult is very different though. The soundtrack sounds cheesy and dated, the animation is still killer, but the movie is dark. Megatron kills a lot of fan favorite Generation 1 characters and Unicron is committing genocide on a galactic scale. Alex, I will have no ill words spoken against this soundtrack ever. But seriously, yeah, it was awfully dark, which was surprising considering that the show wasn't like that. So that turn was jarring. And my friend Pete from the middle class film class said, haven't seen, sadly. Like I told you on Twitter, Pete, if you were a fan of the cartoon or have seen any other of the series, I think you will enjoy this one. So check it out and let us know. So that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening to this special episode of The Movie Loot. If you like this breakdown and have any thoughts to share, look me up on Twitter at my personal account at TiffCGT or the podcast account at TMML2021. The podcast is streaming free on all the podcasting platforms, so check it out. If any of those platforms allows you to drop a review or a rating, better yet. Let us know what you think and how we can improve. Also, if you want to support the show monetarily to help us keep the show going, go to our link tree and visit our coffee page. Buy us a coffee, black as midnight on a moonless night. Also, stay tuned for my next regular episode, which will come out in the next few days. And keep your eyes and ears open for a couple of April episodes that we're about to release. One on May the 4th and one on Friday the 13th. I'll let you all guess what each of those episodes will be about. For now, I'd like to leave you all with a universal podcast greeting. Bawib grana with movie loot. Bawib grana with mini bong. Bawib grana with movie loot. Bawib grana with mini bong. Bawib grana 